and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast. I'm Chris Sarley and today we're joined by Yu Zhang, manager of the elite rated Matthews Asia X Japan Dividend Fund. Thank you for joining us today. Hi Chris, thanks for having me. It's no problem at all. Um, you are based in Hong Kong normally. Now, how often does that give you the chance to visit the broader Asia region? And, and can you tell, you tell us something you sort of learned about your recent visit? Yes. I actually just recently relocated from San Francisco to Hong Kong since April this year. So before I was based in uh, the U.S., I normally do a uh, quarterly visit to different markets in Asia, spending anywhere between 8 to 10 weeks throughout the year seeing different companies. And since April, um, I'm in the region, so hopefully I will be able to do more extensive visits assuming quarantine measures in China or in Hong Kong starts to get eased a little bit. Um, my last trip to the region actually happened in uh, late May, early June. I visited Japan, Thailand, and uh, Vietnam. A um, couple of uh, major takeaways for me. First, uh, reopening in Asia. It is uh, getting uh, quite a bit of uh, momentum. I think different economies outside the mainland China um, are starting to learn, quote unquote, how to uh, live with COVID. So you are seeing companies and the people are starting to come back to their you know, office and the economic activities are starting to recover in a fairly meaningful way. And uh, secondly, despite all the macro uncertainty, whether it's inflation, US Fed rate hike, actually when you see company on the ground, you actually can see that um, what we call the structural growth story of Asia still is very much alive. So there are a number of companies I met, you know, in Japan, in Vietnam, that can give you that kind of pretty robust, long-term sustainable growth, despite the uncertain macro backdrop. So those will be the major takeaways for me from my last trip. Okay. Um, let, let's quickly turn to the to the, the yield of the dividend and the fund. Um, could you maybe just explain the sort of levels that we're talking about? And, and obviously, the fund sort of invests in, in mid and small cap companies that are, that are growing their mm-hmm. dividends. And, and it, is the fund suitable for income investors, or is it more for growth investors that would sort of benefit from the reinvesting in dividends? Maybe, maybe just talk us through the profile of the fund in that sense. Yes, um, I actually like to uh, position this particular X Japan dividend strategy as one of the core holdings for investors uh, who wants to get the exposure to the structural secular growth story of Asia, but at the same time can still benefit from owning a dividend-paying company in terms of the uh, quality and the better corporate governance standards. So when we manage this dividend-paying portfolio, we don't take a pure high-dividend-yielding approach. Rather, we take what we call a total return approach, essentially investing both higher dividend-yielding stocks uh, balanced with uh, faster-growing companies. But these uh, growth companies in our portfolio tend to pay a growing dividend as well. So that's a nice combination we think can give you both the income component as well as the uh, growth optionality uh, by investing in a you know emerging market like Asia. Um, obviously, when we, we're talking about a fund that's focusing on Asia, we'd be remiss to sort of not focus on, on China to some degree. Like, clearly, you've got mm-hmm. some of the considerable weightings to China and some of the big tech companies in your in your top 10. Um, can you talk to us about Chinese growth and your, uh, do you have any sort of worries about government intervention? Maybe just give us a, a view on that. Yeah, I think uh, uh, 
concerns on Chinese economic growth has been such a big topic, you know, uh, this year, um, us included. So that's one of the most debated uh, topics within our own team, looking at our exposure to China. Um, having said that, we also recognize that um, China is operating well below its uh, potential growth um, you know, capacity, mostly due to its very restrictive zero COVID policy. And it just, uh, you know, um, for your information, I'm right now speaking to you from a quarantine hotel in Shenzhen. Uh, just uh, came across the board from Hong Kong to Shenzhen yesterday. And uh, I can tell uh, firsthand that uh, a bustling city of Shenzhen right now is uh, also t- look very much uh, quiet due to the, uh, you know, COVID measures. And uh, from an investment perspective, I think a lot of these uh, uncertainty or the growth headwind China is facing uh, this year actually um, have already been pretty fully reflected in terms of a very poor investors' uh, sentiment, as well as uh, very discounted cheap um, Chinese equity valuations. So that's why I think of you know from our bottom-up stock picking standpoint. Um, when you have those conditions in place and you actually honing on companies' uh, individual business fundamentals, China today is a very much deep diversified economies. While the uh, overall macro environment in China is not the best at the moment, but from a bottom-up standpoint, you can still focus on several industries or you know sectors where we think will continue to enjoy a very strong secular growth tailwind. For example, industrial automation, uh, biotechnology, um, semiconductor manufacturing, um, all these are the areas. I think China is very much focusing um, sort of, you know, supporting its domestic champion, so to speak. So those will be the areas, I think, for our exposure in China, trying to find these secular growth stories, given the, you know, the breadth and the broadness of the Chinese market, uh, despite a very uncertain macro backdrop. Mm, regarding your comment on government intervention, uh, obviously, what we saw last year, specifically for these uh, internet platform businesses, um, a lot of the, uh, you know, negative impact already was a sort of playing out um, in a dramatic fashion in the stock market. Um, At this moment, um, it's only my personal view. I think actually the peak level of the government intervention targeting these uh, internet platform companies probably have already passed. And at this moment, the key focus for the government is trying to stabilize the economy. And uh, for the audience, um, these uh, internet platform companies in China they are some of the largest uh, employers in the uh, in the country, um, directly and indirectly, sort of employing tens of thousands of uh, workers, and including some of these uh, you know individual small merchants. Um, so the impact on the overall economy is going to be really uh, quite significant, and uh, that's why I think um, the government at this moment is actually pr- prioritizing supporting the growth not necessarily doubling down on the intervention to these uh, businesses. Do, do you think, just to, just to follow up on that, do you think the market has fully sort of appreciated that or do you think some of the valuations still look quite attractive? Valuation continue to look very attractive for, uh, you know, from our standpoint, even from a income or shareholder return policy. 
um, for the first time, you are seeing some of these uh, internet uh, traditionally, you know, high growth companies actually starting to uh, pay dividends for the first time or starting to do very significant share buyback programs, mostly due to a very distressed equity valuation they are seeing in the marketplace. Um, I think, uh, you know, headwinds are still persisting, um, slowdown of the Chinese economy or uncertainty related to these, you know, um, U.S. listed ADRs. So geopolitical tension, those will continue to drive near-term uh, you know, uh, volatility on these uh, gross businesses in China. But I think the long-term uh, true value in, embedded in the business are starting to emerge uh, in a meaningful fashion. Okay. Um, I, I want to turn to Vietnam, which is another area you, you have some exposure. Could you maybe talk us through yes. why you're finding so many opportunities in that specific part of the market? Yeah, I think actually, if you think China is taking a lot of the uh, beating related to COVID, related to, uh, you know, tense geopolitical relations, um, Vietnam actually is uh, sitting squarely on the other side. Uh, mm -hmm. Not only, uh, you know, the country or the economy is reopening in a meaningful fashion, but also Vietnam has been one of the major beneficiaries um, as uh, global companies are starting to diversify their supply chain you know, away from China. And if you look at Vietnam today, um, it is operating with a very young population and the labor costs continue to be very competitive. At, at the same time, government in Vietnam is pursuing a market-friendly reform policy. So all these are music two years for, you know, multinational companies. So we are seeing a pretty strong top-down, um, you know, positive case. Uh, FDI, foreign direct investment, continues to pour into Vietnam, creating a lot of uh, well-paid jobs for Vietnamese workers. And that really creates a very positive backdrop to uh, you know, support the um, domestic consumption. So uh, back to your question, um, we've been investing across different sectors, uh, you know, in Vietnam, you know, including some of the uh, financial um, businesses, you know, traditional commercial banks, uh, real estate developers, uh, modern retailers, as well as the consumer branded companies. All these are very much uh, domestic focused and actually are benefiting at this moment from a rising wage growth and uh, rising household income in Vietnam. Okay. Um, one of your top 10 holdings recently IPO'd on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. Uh, and in fact, I believe it was one of the, the biggest Hong Kong listing of the year. Could you maybe talk us through that a little bit and what Hong Kong listing means for existing investors in these Chinese listed shares? Yes. So the company we own actually is uh, mostly listed in domestic Chinese Asia market. Mm -hmm. And this year, they decided to do a uh, due listing in Hong Kong stock exchange. I think uh, from an existing Asia um, shareholder standpoint, um, listing in the Hong Kong market uh, provides two things, mostly in my view. One is uh, it is a pretty transparent and open sort of uh, platform for companies to raise fresh capital to support their business growth. So you will have this uh, constant access to a potential fresh capital to uh, you know, um, sort of provide the funding needs to grow the business. So that's a positive for the corporates. And uh, secondly, from a uh, you know, shareholder standpoint, um, Hong Kong market is uh, much more um, 
dominated by um, institutional investors. Vis-a-vis uh, -vis in the domestic Chinese Asia market, still retail investors um, take up majority of the trading activities. So uh, if the company has the opportunity to introduce a new set of uh, slightly longer-term-minded institutional investors into its shareholding base, I think actually um, it will produce a positive uh, sort of outcome over the long period of time. You have a more stable uh, you know, shareholding base versus uh, a more short-term sort of day trading mindset type of retail investors. So I think that's a um, you know, added benefit uh, on top of the uh, access to additional capital. And, and just one other question in terms of the characteristics of some of the companies you look at. I mean, do you find there are any sort of inherent differences between investing in Asian, Asian shares versus, say, Western markets? Yeah, I think actually from a dividend investing you know, point of view, um, the source of dividends coming from Asia is uh, quite more diversified compared to uh, you know, a typical dividend-paying um, businesses in the mature markets. Um, I think uh, probably due to uh, you know one reason um, in in the case of Asia, you see that um, many of the uh, growth companies actually um, they tend to uh, you know continue to have a very concentrated shareholding structure. Uh, in other words, the original founders or the founding families of these uh, fast growing Asian companies uh, continue to own a meaningful stake. Uh, mm -hmm. when they listed the company. And compared to the uh, Western you know, uh, world, um, the equity market tends to be more institutionalized. So the share shareholding structure is uh, quite uh, fragmented. You don't have uh, a single outsized controlling shareholder you know, as much as you, what you would have in the Asian context. And that actually um, is quite important. Um, from a um, you know incentive for, uh, sort of argument when it comes to paying dividends, um, mm -hmm. because the founders they own such a large stake in these uh, you know even fast growing Asian companies, um, these founders are the founding family. They will have their own incentive in terms of extracting cash from the listed uh, entity to meet their own financial needs, and uh, put in place a dividend policy. Um, despite the business itself still is growing pretty nicely, but uh, you know founders always have their own financial needs, so uh, dividend actually served that purpose pretty uh, well, and also it is one of the measures that you stay clear uh, from uh, you know potential uh, corporate governance uh, you know uh, sort of red flags, um, mm -hmm. because when it comes to receiving dividends. Uh, depending how much you own in the business, whether you're a majority, whether you're a minority, you always get your fair share. So we, as a public investor, we definitely prefer a you know dividend payment uh, versus other uh, create, creative, quote unquote, connected party transactions in terms of extracting cash from the uh, from the companies. Um, so that, to a certain extent, um, you know, we, you will see that in Asia. Many of the fast-growing, you know, sectors, for example, healthcare, technology, or you know, consumer brand businesses, uh, because of the uh, you know dynamic we just discussed on the shareholding structure, uh, a lot of the uh, you know growth companies within these uh, 
growth, quote unquote, growth industries, growth sectors are also paying dividends along the way. And that makes uh, the whole portfolio for the Asia dividend portfolio um, is a much more diversified and actually, uh, you know, quite more interesting versus uh, a typical more mature business that you tend to find in the, um, you know, in the Western market. Okay. Um, you also invest in a company that makes synthetic diamonds. I mean, that sounds quite interesting, but I mean, one, our engagement ring is going to be cheaper in the future and, and you know, and to, to, you know, are they just going to be synthetic <laughs> completely? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good good uh, example you, uh, you, you catch. Um, actually, at this moment, um, you know, for this particular company, um, the end demand is mostly coming from a more developed part of the market. Um, mm -hmm. As you may see, in both uh, Europe as well as in the uh, United States, um, especially within the uh, younger consumer uh, generation, um, they are starting to, uh, you know, prefer... Uh, synthetic or lab-grown diamond over natural diamond um, for no other reasons than a better ESG considerations. Um, you may have heard the term bloody diamond. So I think that is starting to creep into uh, young consumers' mind when they're trying to you know, pick where and how they're going to spend their money. Um, so this particular company um, in the portfolio um, I think, uh, fortunately, is uh, positioning itself pretty well with this uh, growing emerging trend. Um, so we continue to like that uh, stock. Okay. Um, and just lastly, how do you look at sustainability when you are considering investments for the portfolio? Yeah, we really actually incorporate sustainability into our bottom-up stock picking uh, analysis. We think, uh, um, you know, sustainability or ESG analysis is just a part of the uh, total package when we're trying to um, understand better the entire the company's uh, overall business model and all these, uh, you know, um, factors surrounding, you know, environmental, social, and the governance um, will to different degrees affect the company's ability to grow itself and also affect its ability to deliver a sustainable earnings. And uh, earnings growth usually is the most you know, focused uh, area for investors. And we just think ESG or sustainability is uh, you know, part of the uh, total analysis you have to include in today's world. So that is a full sort of uh, integration um, you know, including sustainability into our fundamental uh, research uh, process. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. And if you'd like to learn more about the Matthews Ajax Japan Dividend Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And while you're there, remember to subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember, we've been discussing individual companies to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these companies at the time of listening. Elite ratings are based on Fund Calibre's research methodology and are the opinion of Fund Calibre's research team only. Mm -hmm.